Welcome to today's episode of the Insurance Life and Everything in Between podcast. My name is Adam Bersan. And I'm Chris Smith. If you've yet to do so, hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. And if you love this podcast, don't forget to share it with a friend or colleague. We greatly appreciate your help and support. Today, we're going to be talking about how to have a long-term successful career in the insurance business and the final expense business. Again, I mean, I've been been doing this a long time now. It'll be 21 years licensed in February. And I mean, it's one thing to be licensed. It's one thing to be consistent. And I mean, I've been pretty consistent over the, the last 21 years with writing business and you know, going out and seeing people, building agencies and, and helping other agents as well. So feel free to leave any comments that you would like, any questions, any suggestions, be more than happy to, to get to those. You know, final expenses really kind of been my bread and butter, I guess you could say. When I first got in the business, I, I did about a year with Medicare and also health insurance, individual health insurance. And I was a top producer selling family health insurance with one of the companies that I had gotten going with. I was 21 years old at the time. After the first year, I just, I didn't love the fact that people's rates went up and I'd be getting calls all the time from clients. Adam, my rates went up. What can we do about it? Always trying to have to like find people new plans or they'd be calling about all the different claims that they had and questions about their claims and I found the final expense business and it just made things a heck of a lot easier. The rates never go up. There's, there's only one claim when the person passes away. So the only time clients would be calling me would be either if they wanted to add to their coverage or if they maybe had a family member or friend that could use a policy too. So I just have always been about the simplicity of it. And just, again, kind of makes things easier. It's a one-stop close and you write the business, maybe get some referrals and, and move on to the next. Good morning, Chris. How are you doing? I already got myself unmuted, got the dog quiet. Excited to be here with you again on a Monday talking about long-term success and an outstanding career. Yeah. Now, how long have you been in the business now? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. Well, hey, same thing. I mean, eight years, that's a long time. I mean, when you think about a lot of people who are you know, in and out of the business, people that Maybe they get licensed, they're all excited about it, and then maybe they get out there and they just, maybe they're trained, maybe they're not, but maybe they just get out there and have a few bad days and are like, this just isn't for me. So eight years in the business, I'd say you've had quite a bit of success as well. Yeah, quite a few bad days, quite a few good days. I mean, I think people are expecting perfection all the time, you know, roses, unicorns, flying pigs, but what job really doesn't have some degree of difficulty over the course of your career? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, any, any job out there, I mean, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. And you just got to remember that the good days are going to make up for the bad. At least they should. How to have a long-term successful career. Number one, believe in yourself. I mean, bottom line, I mean, if, if you go out in the field to sell and you just have doubts, you don't feel good about yourself. You, you, you just, you're setting yourself up to fail. In my opinion, I think that that's just number one. You know, I'd actually changed the number one. It used to just be, you know, keep your main focus on final expense. But I just think that 
your main focus needs to be on yourself and believing in yourself and knowing that this is going to work as long as you feel in your mind that it's going to. And the self-doubt, I think, is what really kills a lot of people's success, maybe not only in this business, but all businesses. I think that we need to come to the realization in the industry that it's really just a math problem. Like the whole life insurance side, especially, is based off of math formulas and predictions and actuarial expectations. But then we let emotion get in the way of the sales side of it. Like it's really just all numbers. I had a situation, I've said it and I'll keep saying it, where two weeks I saw the same amount of people, presentations and appointments, had the same amount of leads in the same area and sold literally the same amount of insurance. It's just all a numbers game. So believe in yourself, but also get out of your head when you start to doubt yourself. Yeah. And again, you know, we've talked about this too. If you're having a bad day, you could just, you just, you got to be able to brush it off. You got to stick with it. You don't just go home at three o'clock in the afternoon because you had a no show. I mean, you just got to stick with it. And I mean, there's plenty of days where if I would have went home at three in the afternoon, yeah, I would have went home with nothing. I don't like going home until I, I know that I gave, you know, put in as much as I possibly could. And, and if I don't make a sale, that's fine. At least I know that I, I did as much as I could to, to try to make that happen. But, you know, you cut off early everything else. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. And we'll get to that as well. Get rid of the ego and be willing to learn from those who are better than you. Now, that's just something too. I mean, I've seen people that really can't get out of their own way. You know, maybe, they, maybe they've been in other industries of sales. Maybe they've been successful. And just because of that alone, they feel like they don't need to listen to anybody. They, they just think that it doesn't really matter. They'll be able to figure out their way will be fine and it'll work. And sometimes they need to realize that this business could be a little bit different than other businesses out there. And I've seen a lot of guys out that, that just have those egos that they don't want to listen to anybody. And, you know, they think it's going to be easy. They come to find out that it really isn't. And rather than listen to people that maybe are willing to help them, they would rather just be done with it and move on and do something else. I think the issue in a lot of ways too, is that this industry over the course of the last 10 years, the paradigm has shifted from these large like groups to very fractured groups, people that have contracts all over the place, but never ask for help from anybody or expect help from everybody, but don't ever give one person. There's just so much disunity where if you would just work with somebody and trust that somebody and trust that you can do what they're doing because they've done it and you can do it you get a lot further like pulling together instead of pulling apart is how i would kind of summarize that yeah i think that you, you got to realize that there's actually people out there that are willing to help you mm -hmm. they're not trying to set you up to fail they want to see you succeed and i've always just kind of felt like if it's not broken there's no reason to try and fix it I mean, heck, there's so much of this business that I've learned from other people, you know, starting at 21 years old. I mean, of course I was willing to learn from anybody who was willing to help me. And so I picked up a lot of ideas, you know, a lot of stuff throughout the years from, from other people. But again, I mean, it's like you see other people that are successful. Why would you not want to kind of replicate what, what they're doing? You know, I was on a company trip with one of my first companies in the business about, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, I met a guy on the trip that was making $100,000 a month. 
And I mean, I, I spent like the less, the rest of the trip with this guy. I mean, I wanted to figure out what he was doing because I wasn't making that kind of money. I wanted to figure out what he was doing because I figured if he could do it, there was no reason why I couldn't as long as I knew how to do it. Yeah. So, you know, get rid of the ego, be willing to learn from those that are better than you. I, I heard something from somebody once in the emergency services world. He said, you could learn something from everybody. Just that sometimes the thing you learn is what you don't want to be too. Same way in the industry, you run into people that only want to help you if they make money off of you in the middle of that conversation. I'd rather just give without expecting anything in return because I know we make people better by making ourselves better. So having a very selfless approach to the business, I've always found to be a more profitable way and a more comfortable way to do business. Yeah, I mean, I've even had conversations with agents who are looking to get contracted with me and they ask about, you know, different commission levels and stuff. And they're actually kind of surprised, like, wow, you could, you actually start people at pretty good levels. Yeah. And I tell them, well, I mean, I know what it takes to be successful at this business. And sometimes, especially when you're paying for leads, if you're on too low of a level to start, you're going to fail because you're not going to make enough money to keep going when it comes to having to consistently purchase leads on a regular basis and still make money to get ahead. So you know, that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, you got to set your people up for success. And if that means you got to give away a little bit more when it comes to overrides and stuff like that, I mean, I'm more than willing to give a little bit more away because in the end, that, that's going to help my agents to be successful. Yeah. This isn't 2016 anymore with $20 direct mails, yeah. $30 a lead. You know, if you're on a low contract, statistically, it's almost impossible to make it even with a lot of good work nowadays. Yeah. You know, the first company I was with, I started, I think I was on either like a 75 or 80% commission level, which I didn't know any better, honestly. And at the time, I mean, lead prices, direct mail were like 17, $18 a piece. But now the fact that they're double that, I mean, just imagine spending $800 a week for leads. And again, I mean, it's, it's very hard to get ahead when you're investing that kind of money on a low level. You know, I know we don't talk a whole lot about that, but again, I mean, you know, you got to set your people up to, to succeed, have a business plan. And again, you know, if your focus is final expense, understand that the final expense market is a little bit different and be able to adapt to changing your work habits. One example would be you know, my dad is in the business. He's been in the business my whole life. He was always really big into Medicare, into annuities as I was growing up. And his Monday was his office day where he would set up his whole week. He'd get on the phone. He would set up his appointments for the entire week. And, you know, you try doing that with final expense. Unfortunately, it doesn't work. You could set up appointments for maybe tomorrow, but maybe. not, you know, maybe tomorrow, the next day, maybe like at, at the latest, but if you go further out than that, well, I mean, there's a real good chance that you're just setting yourself up for a whole bunch of no-shows. So you just, you have to adjust to the business and, and make those changes. And, you know, and my dad, you know, we both got into the final expense business at the same time. You know, he was willing to make those adjustments and, you know, and he had, has been very successful in the business as well. But again, had he not been willing to listen to others who told him that it was different and maybe he needed to change the way he was doing things. You know, maybe it wouldn't have worked. 
But, you know, kind of the same thing, that same mindset from that prior point we made, you know, you got to be willing to, to listen to those that have already been successful. Yeah, I think the best example I could come up with is appointment setting. I remember when I was a successful door knocker four days a week, five days a week, making good money, writing good quality business. And somebody that I had worked with and partnered with said, it's time to have someone set appointments for you. I'm like, I don't do that. Like, I, I just, I don't do that. It's like, that's, it's time. It's time to see more people in less time and write more business. And ironically, I almost doubled my volume by taking that one piece of advice. And it's just not changing your entire business model, but these minor course corrections that make a significant difference. Yeah. I mean, even myself, Chris, I mean, I was always so against appointments, always just liking to just put the route together and go out and see people. And, uh, and I was just, I always had that stuck in the back of my mind that why set appointments because they're not going to be home anyways. But I, I kind of changed that mindset and I now expect people to be home when I show up and, you know, people are home. I, I really don't have a whole lot of no-shows. When I do, they happen. But again, you just kind of have to plan ahead and be ready for those no-shows and know your next move, know what you're going to do next. If that person's not home, what do I have to do for the next 90 minutes before my next appointment? Because the more time you spend sitting in the car, the less time you're spending being productive and, and making money. So again, you know, had to be willing to kind of adjust because I never wanted to set up appointments. I just wanted to take the leads, go out there, door knock them. And I think it was maybe more of a comfort thing for me. Just mm -hmm. that's the way that I always like doing it. Again, it makes it a lot easier too when you can find an appointment setter that's willing to kind of do that part of the work for you, set up your schedule and help you when it comes to having that steady flow of consistent appointments on a regular basis. And you're right. I mean, my production greatly increases whenever I have a full week of appointments set. And and again, I you know, I plan ahead if you know if that person's not home, I I already know my next move and I'm going to find other people to see over those next 90 minutes before my next appointment. I just think that it's so important to long-term success comes from making little improvements. I think sometimes people make these drastic, insane changes in their business and then the business fails. Like imagine if you took a flight from O'Hare to Baltimore and there was a little bit of wind and the airplane isn't going to all of a sudden deviate to Dallas. They're going to be like, all right, let's go this way a little bit eventually they'll get there. But if they make these crazy course corrections, the plane might run out of fuel even before they get to where they're trying to be. Yeah, that's a good point. Have a marketing budget and be disciplined with it. What I always recommend doing is transferring 20% of every single commission deposit that you earn into a separate bank account. Call it your leads account and never touch that money. The only time you touch that money is when you're going to be placing a lead order and maybe set a day every single week, whether that is maybe on a Friday or a Monday and just make that the day that you're placing your lead order. And then every single week, you're, you know, you have that order placed and you're using the money that's in that leads account. You got to plan ahead. You got to remember that it takes money to make money in this business. And I think that a lot of times, I mean, I've seen even people who've been very successful with writing business in and out of the business because they were not good at managing their money. They didn't plan ahead. And it got to the point where they just, they didn't have money for future lead orders and they were in and out of the business. So I think that it's crucial to do this, to set up that separate account, 
and use that, like I said, just for the purpose of placing lead orders. I mean, and these days, I mean, it's super easy. You go to the bank, they'll, they'll even give you a debit card that's specific just for that account. And then you can use that just to place your lead orders. You can even set up automatic transfers. So, you know, let's say that you have deposits coming in. You can, you can, some of these different bank accounts, you could have it set up where it just automatically transfer 20% into that account. You don't even have to mess with it. The money's just automatically going to show up in that account for your, your lead orders. And then plan to live on half. And the reason I say that is because, you know, not only do we have to focus on the fact that we have to spend money on leads, but we're 1099. I mean, this is an independent contractor sort of business. And with that, well, we have to pay in when it comes to tax time. So you got to have money set aside for leads or leads and taxes. And I think you're better off to have more than enough set aside than, than not enough. You don't want to put yourself in a tough spot with the IRS either. So, you know, more than enough. And at the end of the year, heck, if you have more than enough set aside, I mean, I think that's a good thing. You, you're better off to be ahead than behind. Yeah. I don't think people realize that long-term success means operating in many cases as a business owner and not a hobbyist. I think when you get into the business, you're in pure survival mode. You're like, whatever I was doing before isn't working for one reason or the other. And I need to make this work. And you operate in survival mode for so long that once you finally get ahead of where you're at, you have to think as a business owner. And a business owner doesn't have all of his money deposited into the same account. He doesn't operate like he is an employee. He has to think bigger. And that means partnering with people that are going to help you think bigger. Adam, there's been several business decisions where before I did something, I literally called or texted Waylon and I said, does that make sense? Should I do this thing or that thing? Like I trusted somebody who makes more money than me, knows how to manage money as good as me, if not better. So I'm not afraid to ask opinions about money management. I think that the lead account is a great idea because most people fail out of long-term success because they just stop buying leads. Like, what are you even doing? This is the easiest way to fix the problem. I, I've been using a rewards credit card lately. I mean, I'd be the best thing for everybody, but I use my rewards credit card where the leads go because now I can go on a whole trip for free based off of the fact that I have to spend the money on leads anyway. As long as I can keep up with the card, the concept works. Tax accounts. I have an Edward Jones person I work with and I'm not the best at saving for taxes. I'll readily admit it. I'm sure there's plenty of people that watch this one day and say, I'm just like that. So I said to the guy, Adam, take this amount of money from my account every two weeks and put it somewhere I can't find it. And then one day when I need it, send it back to me. And he does it. He literally transfers the money from this account into that account. He doesn't do it. It's all automation. And it goes into a tax account for me. Like, got to have that business owner mentality at some point once you've gotten ahead of how to actually do the business. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, credit card with rewards is good if you are responsible with it yeah. and yeah. and you're yeah. paying it off. I mean, I've seen some of these organizations out there too, where they encourage agents to like max out their credit card on leads. And then right away they're put in a tough spot and then they got to worry about paying you know, a pretty big bill back, you know, with a debit card, at least, you know, you're spending your own money, but if you're responsible, well then heck yeah, you know, put it on a credit card as long as you're good with turning around and paying it off right away. Yeah. I just, you got to be very, very careful with credit cards. If you can work them to your advantage, take full freaking advantage of them. If you can't pay them off, cut them up and throw them out. There was a point in time where I started in the business with that credit card. as a safety net to stay on leads. And then as soon as it was paid off, 
I cut it up and I didn't have credit cards for years, like years, because there's so much bad debt in your life that again, long-term success is lowering your overhead. Like, why are you paying for this or carrying that? Like lower your overhead if you're going to really make it long-term. Yeah. Just imagine all, you know, the high interest rates these days too. I mean, I mean, how much you end up paying if you just carry a balance on a credit card, how much you're paying every single month, every single year, just all that money compounded over the years. I mean, it's just amazing. It's scary, honestly, to, to think how much you'd further you'd be ahead had you just been spending your own money rather than, uh, you know, rather than a bank's money and not paying it back right away. Yeah. I think long-term success is also a lot of, I'm sure this is a point somewhere I'm going to steal from you, delayed gratification. Like just because you can do something doesn't mean that you necessarily should do that thing. Yep. And it, you know what? And if you're in a spot financially where you have to put it on a credit card, just remember, you know, once you make that sale, turn around and pay it back right away. I did that. Um, I absolutely. Yeah. And then from there, you know, even if you got to place the next order on a credit card, same thing, turn around and pay it off right away. You know, when you make your first sale, turn around and pay it or, you know, place another order and then pay it off. And again, you know, we talked a little bit about this, you know, be consistent with ordering leads, order leads every week and be geographically smart with it, especially with direct mail. I mean, at least in highly populated areas like where I live or around where I live, you can order direct mail leads by zip code. So what that means is that, I mean, you can be in one area and have a heck of a lot of people to see. And then the next lead order you can place in maybe the next zip code over and then the next zip code over from that. So then not only are you working your current leads, but then you're working leads from the prior week or the week prior to that, but everything is still relatively close together. I mean, if you're working leads and everything is an hour apart, you're not going to be nearly as productive. We've talked about that a lot where I had been working these Facebook leads that are so much more spread out and I'm productive. I, I write business off of them, but I feel like I would be much more productive had I invested into the direct mail where I had just so many more opportunities that were close together and just been able to catch up with so many more people throughout that work day where, you know, with the Facebook, I'm driving 45 minutes here, 30 minutes there, and just not catching up with nearly as many people. So I'd say focus on direct mail and just place those orders one area. Then maybe, you know, we've even said, you know, you can even put like a circle on a map and you just start at the one, then you move on to the next, the next, all the way around. And again, because you're, you're not just working this week's leads, but you're going to have follow-up and you're going to have people that you hadn't been able to catch up with from the prior weeks. But at least then everything is still relatively close together. Yeah. I heard a guy say at a, at a convention once, find your area and dominate it. Like plant your flag, own that area. And I did that I, for the longest time, not the longest time, but for the time, every month I'd be working somewhere different. This area, that area, this area, that area, this, it was hard to keep track of. But then I heard him say, find your area dominated. I'm like, I have a lot of people in Philadelphia, a lot of people. Why would I not dominate this area? And then I did that and it becomes so routine that all 90, 80% of my book of business is all in that same geographic area from dominating it over and over with direct mail. Yeah. And then, I mean, again, anytime you have a client call you, they have questions, maybe they need you to stop by for something. 
it's not like you're driving two hours to catch up with them. And most of your client base is going to kind of all be within that, that certain, uh, mile radius. Yeah. You know, you put the circle on the map, it's all going to be like within that, that circle. Yep. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not bad maybe to, to maybe mix things up a little bit. I mean, I've had a lot of success where maybe every once in a while I'll order leads that maybe a couple hours away and spend a few days away from home. And for me, it's just, maybe that's just something to kind of get back focused because when you're away from home and especially if I'm not going home that night, I got nothing else to do, but work, that's going to really kind of keep me like super focused. So, you know, it might not be a bad idea to try every once in a while, but I think that it's good to kind of have that, like you said, like that, just that strict area where majority of your business is just coming out of, like you said, kind of like the Philly area. Yeah, definitely get uncomfortable, travel to areas you haven't worked before, do a little bit of rural, mix in some urban, don't get stuck thinking you could only do one thing. I, I got stuck thinking that. I thought after a while, oh, I could only ever work in Philly. This isn't going to work. I can't, I possibly, no way, no way, not going to work. And then COVID hit and I literally and legally couldn't work in Pennsylvania for a few months and as I survived, you, you can work other places, but it's a balancing act between getting uncomfortable and then finding that main territory that you're going to dominate. And have some structure. You know, know what your day is going to look like. Use a presentation. Know the products, the underwriting, and how to calculate correct premiums. Pretty self-explanatory. Again, you know, we talk about setting up appointments. I think that's good. Maybe only focus on setting them up like a day out, two days out at most. And then maybe set up your calendar. Uh, block out your calendar, like either 60, 60 minute increments or 90 minute increments and, and block that off and do what you can to set up those appointments. For me, it's usually nine o'clock, 1030, 12 o'clock, 130, o'clock, 430 and six. So then that's where I want to have my appointments. But then when I don't have those appointments set, like I said, I already kind of know where I'm going to be going, what leads I have that I can work that are within those areas. Or like if I have a no show. I think presentation is important. I think it's so much better to have a presentation than to just go into a house and wing it. Um, I think that it helps you to stay on point when you have something to stay on point too. <laughs> and when your client, you know, starts asking you questions, you, you get caught off guard. Well, it's kind of tough to get back to the topic if you don't really have that, that solid structure. So I think, and if you're looking to build and if you're looking to grow, I think that having that presentation is also important because I think, again, we talk about the importance of replication and that's really my ultimate goal. When I bring an agent on, I want to make sure they're doing everything the way that I've done that to be successful, because then if they decide they want to recruit and build and bring agents on, well, I feel comfortable knowing that they're training people the same way that I train them and they're using the same presentation that has worked for me. So everybody's kind of on the same page and feeling pretty good about it. And then just knowing the products and the underwriting. You want to look like you know what you're doing when you're in a house too. You don't want to be stumbling around trying to figure things out. I think that that toolkit has definitely helped me. The insurance toolkits we talk about, Chris. Me going from, you know, primarily being focused on one product and one company for such a long time. I think that that toolkit, it made my life a heck of a lot easier when I decided to, to kind of go the broker route and and add all these additional carriers. 
looking out for the best interests of the client and makes it super easy when you can just plug in different health conditions and their age, their, their height and weight, whether they're a smoke or not. And you can kind of see what the best options are that are available. And maybe now I don't need to use it as much because I just kind of know the underwriting a little bit better from the different companies from utilizing that for, for quite some time. So, you know, it's a great tool, makes it a lot easier. And I, I mean, heck, I've even used it in the house if all the, the client cares about is like the best price that's out there. You can show them, well, look at, you know, we work with all these different companies and this is the best option. You know, Joe, this is number one on the list. So you're not going to find anything cheaper or better than this. Yeah, I've, I've heard recently on a video from a captive agent, newly captive, strange to hear that said from them, is that it was just too complicated to manage all of these carriers as a broker. Like, where? That complicated? Like, with insurance toolkits. Like, if it's complicated, there's a tool there that tells you who takes what, what the rate is. And then a little bit of organization is a great key to long-term success. I use Notability at all my carrier guides, all my logins, all my resources, like little notes and tips and tricks that you would know nuanced about a carrier or a product. Like stay organized. Like a key to long-term success is not being a freaking slob and having your business run in an organized manner to the best of your ability. And again, that kind of goes back to, you know, having some structure, knowing what your day is going to look like. And I mean, on my iPad, I have like a, a folder that, that has direct links to each e-app. So when I'm in a house, I mean, it's real easy. I just, I click on that folder and from there, I, all I got to do is click the link and it's going to take me to the carrier and, and the e-app and learn those processes from the different companies. Same thing. You don't want to be stumbling around when you're in a house. Most companies these days, I mean, their processes are very similar and they're really not that difficult. So it, there really should be a whole lot of learning curve there to, to learning the different products and the, the different carriers. To me, it's really not that difficult. Like I said, kind of going from one company, well, you know, a few different companies, but one at a time for majority of my career to now being contracted all over the place. It, I don't feel uncomfortable when I'm in a house because I planned ahead and I, I have that structure. Yeah. Simple organization goes a long way. Go to adamberson.com to sign up for the weekly trainings. You will receive an email and that way you know of the topic every single week. Again, you know, we have this on the insurance life and everything in between Facebook group page live every Monday, as well as my own business page, Adam Berson Incorporated. And then you can go back and you can watch on, on YouTube as well as an audio broadcast on our, our podcast. But yeah, hop on the adamberson.com and you will be notified every week and we'd love to have you on. And number seven, get used to getting rejected. I mean, that's just part of the business. You got to know going in, you're going to be rejected more than you're going to be accepted and you can't let it get to you. I mean, you, you, get, you let it get to you. Yeah. You're going to be in and out of the business. We, we talk about this a lot too. I know Chris that you kind of have to go in with that mindset of I'm just here to help. And if you don't want my help, well, then I'll move on to help somebody that does. And we, we, we try our best to overcome all the different objections that could arise. At the end of the day, it does, sometimes it just doesn't matter. We're still going to get rejected. 
and and it might not make sense. We might know that it would be in the best interest of the client to move forward, but sometimes there's just nothing else we can do. And we got to move on to, to help people that really want our help. Again, I think it's just a numbers game. Again, you could give the best presentation and beat the rate by a hundred bucks a month and offer them double the coverage. And statistically, maybe it just wasn't in your favor that day. You know, of course, there are ways to make it better and objections to overcome. But the key to long-term success, and in many cases, is seeing enough people. Like, you, you got to get rejected 5, 10, 15 times. That's it, okay. But if you're not seeing enough people, a rejection is going to hurt even more. Like, I literally don't even care if I get rejected at this point. They've just saved me whatever time I've now moved on to the next person. Like, rejection is part of what you're you're signing up for in this business. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, too. I mean, I'm not really much of, like, a hard closer. Like I'm not, I don't like to push too hard because I feel like if I'm pushing too hard, then I'm just setting myself up for a charge back too. Yeah. So, you know, that's just, there's kind of like a fine line there that you kind of have to have to learn. You know, you, you get to the point where you, you really, really got to push a little hard. You could leave the person just feel sold and they're just going to end up canceling anyways. Yeah. But yeah, get used to getting rejected. It's part of it. Move on to people that truly want your help. And ask questions, listening cells. That's something, you know, my presentation, I mean, I have a list of just different closing questions. I like to get the, the prospect involved. I like to remind them of why this is so important. In my mind, I feel like the reason why they feel like it's important is because they've been through it, where more than likely somebody they know had passed away where it had affected them financially. So I like to ask questions to kind of, you know, kind of dig down and discover all of that and to remind the person of why this is so important because they had experienced that at some point in their life. So, so again, you know, ask questions, listening cells, don't do all the talking. If you do all the talking, you're just going to put them asleep to sleep. Yeah. And, uh, and you're just going to sound like the last five people that have been in their house, get involved, you know, get them involved and why you're there. And I think it shows too that you truly do care a little bit. You got to ask questions that require an answer or like have a conversation. I had a, a agent say he needs to have more conversations this week. And I'm like, that's perfect. It's really not even a presentation. It's conversations. Like how many quality qualified conversations can I have in a week about what I have to sell? If I'm having five, like it's going to be a bad week. Seven, uh, it's still a bad week. Like how many people not... Can I talk for 45 minutes and hope they listen and then hope they buy? Like, I have to tell myself, Adam, sometimes in the presentation to shut up. Like in my head, not out loud. I'm thinking to myself, shut up, shut up, shut up. Stop talking. Shut up and listen. Shut up. Just let them talk. Because Adam, I, how many times have you been in a presentation? You shut up, you ask good questions and you listen and they sold themselves. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, And, and again, that's why I like to ask the, those questions. That's why I call them closing questions because that's exactly what's happening. Like I said, they're reminding themselves of why this is so important because, you know, I'm kind of putting that back of that mindset, you know, of them kind of opening up and them telling me about a family member or a friend who'd passed away where it, it where it hurt financially, you know, it hurt, it, it not only affected them emotionally, but it affected them financially. And that's the reason why we're there because they'd been through it, in my opinion. So that's, that's again, why I like to ask those questions and get them involved. And like you said, they're just selling themselves. 
focus on the need and affordability. To me, that's just really big. I don't like to oversell. I kind of look at it as we're dealing with people in final expense for the most part that are on a fixed income. They're living on some form of social security. They don't have a whole lot of extra money laying around to be spending on their final expense life insurance every month. So I want to keep it affordable for them. I even tell them part of my presentation, you know, we, we want to make sure that you can pay this every month and not just the first month. So we'll talk about affordability. I ask about affordability even before, before I put a quote together. Because in my opinion, having a little bit of something's better than having nothing at all. And we can always go back and we can add more later. But, you know, I like to keep it affordable. I try to focus on the need. If, if they can afford it, the one thing these days, I mean, heck, I mean, funerals are costing more and more. You know, they might not be able to handle paying for a $15,000 policy. That's probably what they're going to need to cover their burial, at least by where I live. But, I mean, if I can only write them a $10,000 policy, I'm sure that would also be a pretty good help to the family. They can always add more later. A lot of times, maybe they have some other bills that they catch up on, they're paid off, and then they can add more later. But having, like I said, having a little something's better than not having anything. Yeah, plant a small flag at the least. Like, there's no comeback next week and write them a policy. That's not going to happen. But if you could at least plant the smallest of flags then you're going to be able to come back and do something else. Don't sell based on how much commission you want to make. I mean, I, I've never been like that. Like I, if anything, I kind of feel like I, I undersell, like I'm not trying to write them the most expensive policy out there. I'm trying to write them something that I know that they're going to be able to keep because I know persistency matters too. And I want to keep my persistency like close to 90%. So you know, I, I'd, like I said, I would rather write them less than, than not enough and can always add more later. But I mean, I've been, I've been in training with agents where like, I'm going through a presentation with the person I'm putting quotes together. And like, I see the agents like just sitting there, like calculating commissions. That's such and a bad I, I, yeah, and I'll get out of the house and be like, don't even focus on that. Don't even worry about what you're getting out of it. Because to me, then you're not looking out for what's most important. And sometimes I feel like the clients can even feel that. If if, if Then I think they are just going to feel sold. They're not going to feel like you were there for them. They, they may feel like this guy was just there to try to sell me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important to take a, a service versus sales approach. Obviously, you need to sell. Obviously, you need to overcome objections, give a quality presentation. But if you just saw and presented and had 15 conversations, the numbers would work themselves out. Like you almost don't need to count your goal as much as you need to count the presentations. And if you took the AP out of it and the comp out of it and the commissions out of it, it just counted how many presentations that I give. It'll all work itself out by the end. Again, you know, kind of talks about just having, you know, that consistency and maybe if people are not ordering leads enough and they get into like that survival mode, maybe they are trying to write just these huge premiums that are unaffordable. Maybe they can afford the, the first month, but then after that, then they're dealing with NSFs and business falling off the books. And I mean, heck, chargebacks suck. I mean, you know, it's no fun when you got to write two applications to to make some money because you have a chargeback that you got to pay off. So, yeah. I mean, like I said, I would rather write less and make sure that they can keep up with it every month. So 
and you know, we can kind of breeze right through this one. That's just kind of what we've been talking about. Always do what is in the best interest of the client. You know, so you don't want to be looking out for yourself. Look out for what's in the best for your client. And in the end, I've always felt like we do what's best for our people, our clients. We will be repaid time and time again. I mean, yeah. even like what we were talking about, Chris, at the beginning here, even working with agents and and how maybe, you know, maybe we, you know, we don't start them at the lowest level. You, you start them at a good level where they know they're going to be set up for success. Yep. So yeah, we're, you're looking out for your people. You know, you're looking out for your people and that'll help them to be successful. So, you know, just like selling to a client, you know, you're going to keep that business on the books by looking out for their best interests. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I've seen a lot of agents miss the opportunity for long-term success because once they get their money right, once they've got more in their account than they've ever had before, once they don't need to look at how much something costs or ask permission to go do something, they forget why they started. Like they forget that the people that we're seeing and serving and selling really and truly need our help. Like the rest of the financial services industry doesn't care about final expense clients. They don't want anything to do with the cat pee and the dog poop and the, the strange places we have to go. They, they don't want it. They would rather, they're too good for it. They'll show up over the phone or over Zoom. They're not going to go in person. Like you're there for a real good reason. Like Adam, one of the reasons that I'm in the business is because somebody sat across the table from my grandmother 50 years ago, ago and sold her a prudential policy. And that prudential policy left me a little bit of money and gave me the hope that I could make it in this business. We have a real important job that we do. And as soon as we forget about that, you can forget the long-term success in your career. Yeah, spot on. Assume the sale. That's just something when I'm in a home, I kind of feel like that's the reason why I'm there is to to get business done. That's the reason they filled the card out. You know, we're just there to kind of assume that they they want to move forward. So even my presentation, that's just kind of how it is all the way through is very assumptive that, and it's just a matter of them figuring out which plan to get started with. But, you know, someone once said to ask for the sale and I don't feel like you need to ask. Sometimes if you ask for the sale, the client starts to ask more questions to themselves. Let's say I put three rates together. 10,000, 12, and 15. And then let's just say that I, I present those to them. And then I say, I'll let you tell me what's affordable. And if they say, well, I think 12,000 is affordable. And then if I come back and say, so do you want to go with the 12,000 then? No, what does that give them the option to do? Start thinking a little bit more about, should I do this or not? <laughs> exactly. If, if, you're, if you're doing it, of course they're going to doubt it. Like yeah. it's, you're why else are you even there? Like you're dressed up nice. You brought a bag with you. You packed your lunch. You drove to an area. You bought a lead. You knock on their door. You sat down in a stranger's home. Of course you're there to do something. Like why else would you be here? You're not there to make a friend. Like of course be friendly with them, but you need to remind yourself and assume you're there to do business. It's not an if. It's just what's going to come from it. I was always taught to just start filling out the app. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's the worst thing that they can do? Stop you. Yeah. So you, you start filling out the app a little bit different now, maybe a little bit with the EFs, but you can still, you can do the same thing with an EF. You just start filling everything out. I mean, usually, I mean, the first thing I ask again, with like the three quotes, I'll let you tell me what's affordable. If they say the 12,000, the next thing out of my mouth is who's your beneficiary going to be. They give me that name. 
the next thing I'll ask them is, what's your middle initial? And they know then that you're you're filling something out. They know that you're moving forward with it. And again, I mean, that until they stop you, just keep moving forward. More than likely, you're going to go all the way through to the end without any objections. Yeah, unfortunately, I threw out a few Transamerica applications in my day that I assumed my way and I didn't make it to the end of. But at least I started. Like, it's not like you're, the person's going to say, Adam, please sign me up for this policy. I select this one. That doesn't happen. Like, assume the next step of the process. Yeah, I mean, if they stop you, they stop you. You know, what are you doing? Why, why are you filling that out? Well, I just, you know, I just, I need it. This is just information that we need to, to kind of see how you'll qualify and then just kind of until they stop you again. I remember once I had one that the lady's like, I just need to talk to my daughter about it first and this and that. I was able to overcome it. And I remember I just, uh, I said, oh, she's the one who's going to be handling things. She said, yeah. And then I just kept filling out the app and got to the end and she, she didn't bring it up again that she had to talk to her daughter again. You know, just kind of smoothly, just kind of move through the process. So, but yeah, you know, be assumptive. Don't, again, you ask, you ask for the sale. They're going to start asking in their mind if they, if they should really move forward or, or they're, or they may just be hesitant to continue and obtain referrals. You know, referrals are free leads. I think that's something that all of us are guilty of not asking for enough referrals. I think, I mean, I, I could probably do a better job even with asking for more referrals in the home. I try my best to, but a lot of times, you know, it's like you you make that sale, you're ready to move on to the next, but you know what? It, it's real easy to move on to another sale. If you get five referrals from that person that you just talked to from people that are in the same situation that that person that you just helped is in as well. So, and you get the referral Usually I'll, I'll write down the names. I'll ask for the phone numbers. I'll try to get the addresses and I'm, you know, why don't we give them a call right now? Because they're, that referral is more likely to answer the phone to the person that they know than they are to you and, you know, get them on the phone right away and try to make time to go see them. The sooner you get there, the better. Yeah. I think that my concept of referrals is kind of downstream referral business. Like I did a decent enough job branding and selling a quality policy at an affordable price and building a decent enough relationship that the next time the word insurance comes up in conversation, they think of me branding, like leaving a brochure, like you're selling an intangible purchase. Why aren't you leaving something, leaving a business card magnet, marking your territory, um, sending a thank you card or delivering the policy, like making that one extra effort in the presentation so that when they think about insurance, they think about you. Yeah. I was just going to show you, I, I don't think I have one by me right now, but well, here's one of my old ones. I have my business card has a QR code on the back of it. And you know, with that, that QR code will add me into their contacts. It's like all of my contact information. So I even tell them, you know, you know, here's my card, hand them out to people that, you know, then if anything, if, if you run out of cards, they can at least take their camera out on their phone. This will automatically add me into their contact. And I think I just have it titled like Adam Insurance Man. So that's how it's saved in their phone. And then, you know, one thing I've, I've discovered lately too, a, a, a lot of people, a lot of seniors are set up where if you are not in their contacts, their phone goes straight to voicemail when you try calling. You want to be in your client's contacts to make sure that if 
you need to call them for something that they're going to pick up. And same thing, you know, if, if the referrals, they have their, their friends right away, you're added into their phone and you try calling, at least, you know, you're going to show up and maybe they'll, they'll pick up. We might need to just maybe finish the other half next week, Chris. We've gone through about half of them. We're about 50 minutes in. I think we could probably do that. Maybe, maybe a part two next week. Unity Life Group is the name of my agency. Check us out. UnityLifeGroup.com slash careers in-home sales as well as telesales platforms available, lead program where you're never going to run out of people to see. Again, we have our weekly trainings, ongoing support. We have, I mean, the the group Facebook page you can hop on with tons of content, the different YouTube channels, the podcast. I mean, there, there's no way that you could say that you didn't receive enough training. You know, we're willing to get out there and work with you as well. And opportunities to build a team, multiple, your income, working with multiple different carriers to put the clients in the best pro- products that are available for them. And, you know, high contracts available as well for those that uh, maybe are looking to build and grow and already have some agents that they're looking to work with. So part two will be next Monday. We'll go through the, the second half of some tips that I feel will help any agent out there to, to be able to achieve that, that long-term success in the business. Anything that you wanted to add before we sign off this morning, Chris? The best way to learn is to do. Go out there, take the tips and see the people. And with hard work, the rest will work itself out. Hey, sounds good. Thanks again for joining me this morning, Chris. And like I said, we went through about 12 out of maybe 25. So still got a lot of good tips for you guys to like I said, to have that long-term successful career, part two will be next Monday. And as I mentioned, you know, feel free, like, share, comment, follow if you are listening on our podcast and share it with, with your friends, share it with your colleagues, let people know this is free content from, I mean, what do we say? I mean, you're, you've been in the business eight years. I'm going on 21, almost 30 years of experience from two people that I don't feel are really that old in the business. So, yeah. you know, I think we got a long ways to go, but like I said, we're here to help and feel free to reach out to us if you need us. Thanks again. And this concludes another episode of the insurance life and everything in between podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend or colleague. And if you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, Please leave those too. Any input is greatly appreciated. Thank you.